You are listening to the Orange Songbook Podcast, hosted by Matthew Hewish, Oliver Davies and Toby Suda. The three second generation unificationists discuss topics that matter to them. Hello, welcome to the Orange Songbook Podcast. I'm here again. I'm Ollie. I'm here with Matt. Hello. And with Toby. <laughs> Hi guys. Why are you laughing? Because Matt's always enthusiastic with his greetings. Uh, I like greeting people. Welcome back to Storytime, where we'll be chatting about and reading the autobiography, specifically concerning his early life from teenagers to um, early adulthood. Early adulthood, yeah. Before he became old, wrinkly, before he became saggy. wrinkly and saggy, yeah. So, where did we leave off last time? We finished at the point in the story where True Father's family had converted to Christianity and we were reflecting on the time of True Father's education when he was studying Japanese in order to prepare to understand the enemy. Fight the imperialistic menace. Right. So diving straight in then, we are now on chapter two, which opens with um, the heading, A River of Heart Flows With Tears. So if you're eager to follow along, join in at that point on the book, I suppose. And this part of the story is quite interesting because we are invited to experience some quite traumatic events in the adolescent years of True Father's life. We learn about the tragedy of five younger siblings passing away, all within the space of one year. We aren't told about the reason being for their uh, deaths. Perhaps there was a disease going around, or perhaps there was a famine which led to malnutrition. Probably a combination of all the above. And True Father also talks about how he read in a newspaper about the suicide of a kid his age, at the age of 16, which made him weep and, and question things deeply. That's interesting because it's we, we read that all the time now, but we're kind of desensitized. Well, it doesn't it. even so make common. the news. That's the point. It's statistics. That's true. It's just numbers, isn't it? Whereas perhaps for the adolescent Sun Myung Moon, this was something he, he had never encountered before. And so reading a story about it impacted him. It would be interesting to know how suicide rates have changed from 100 years ago to now, oh, isn't especially it? Especially in South Korea. Especially Korea, because yeah. now it's like the second highest, isn't it, in the world? Yeah, well, it's the highest rates. developed, definitely, yeah. by, by quite a mm. margin. This part of the story I find really interesting because it's something that I'm sure we've all read at some point in time, but we haven't necessarily remembered what it talks about or seen the value of what it talks about. And I feel like if people reread this section and really tried to digest and analyze this text with an open mind, with a kind of heart of trying to understand, then a lot of the problems that we see within our movement, you know, the divisions and the arguing and things like this about, you know, who was true father really would just be solved. Because what do you mean? What do you mean exactly, Oli? Okay, this specifically, it talks about he turned to God and prayed because of this reading of the story in the newspaper. Questions like, you know, who am I? Where did I come from? Does God exist? Is there a soul? And things like that. And that's really interesting for the reason that he didn't know those answers beforehand. And when we think of a messianic figure, especially through the Christian light, we think of this all-powerful being from birth rather than somebody who has to discover himself. I have to admit, Ollie, that was my favourite part of reading the book so far because for once I saw a relatable side. He questioned God in every sense and 
we've quite commonly been led to believe that True Father is this all-knowing Messiah, and quite clearly he says himself that he was as clueless as I am right now. It's these kinds of events that take place in people's lives that actually contribute to their lack of faith in God or losing faith in God. To The experience of suffering makes people question, how would a good God, an all-powerful God, allow these things to take place? And sure, losing five younger siblings is a truly heartbreaking event. And he doesn't turn in anger towards God. Maybe he did. I don't know. He doesn't say it here. But he does turn to God and pray, which in itself is is already, I would say, a step of maturity Mm -hmm. to actually make that step of turning to God in prayer. Those prayers may have been angry. They may have been loud. And, and, you know, I've had those kinds of prayers where you walk around in a field where where no one's around. You just yell at God, yell to the universe and see if you get an answer. But then does True Father get the answers he's looking for? Well, I guess that's a lifetime of journey to come well, to some. Well, it wasn't a lifetime. It was just a few, I don't know, weeks, months. Because at the Western age of 15, you know, the Korean age of 16, on one Sunday, Easter, Easter Sunday morning, he's praying and Jesus appears. Actually, Ollie previously told the story of how True Father met Jesus in quite a... London <laughs> London Manor. You'll have to go back to what, episode six, I think? No, it was to... like one of the first two, I think. Really? Right, Jesus, mate. That kind of thing. Anyway, it's fun. But yeah, he he experienced meeting Jesus on a mountaintop, which is when Jesus gave him the mission, which he rejected twice, and then finally gave in and accepted and said, all right, mate, I'll do it. One thing that's very interesting here is that it said, whenever I laid out the anguishing problems in my heart to God, all my suffering and sorrow vanished and my heart felt at ease. That doesn't mean I got all the answers. True. It means he had a relationship with God. Actually, I once got in trouble um, for posting on a forum. Uh, it was a Facebook post. Somebody said, why didn't True Father write a book? Because he didn't really. I mean, the autobiography, no, apart from that, why didn't he write down his teachings and things like that? And my reply was, well, he probably wasn't a very good writer, to be honest, and it takes a certain skill, and True Father probably just didn't have that skill. And I received two private messages saying, like, oh, no, that's not the reason why. You know, True Father, I'm sure he was an excellent writer, as if, you know, oh, yeah, he had all these skills. He He could do anything he wanted. He just chose not to write a book and those kinds of things. But it's really clearly written here in the only text that he arguably did write that... (laughs) Actually, he had to learn these things. He didn't know these things. He wasn't born or didn't even acquire all the skills that he needed Mm. or wanted in his life. The takeaway is he is as much a human as the rest of us. Exactly. Human. So this whole stupid, like really stupid argument that people are going on about nowadays. I'm not going to go into it that much, but about this whole only begotten son, only begotten daughter nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Like complete BS. Just read the freaking book. Do I have to beat BS and freaking? Um, I don't think so. I, I, I very specifically <laughs> didn't say <laughs> b- <laughs> So, <laughs> So c- returning to the story, uh, I find it interesting how True Father could bear his heart to God, but keep a secret from his parents or keep a secret from everybody else. He says, he couldn't open my heart to my parents and share my huge secret with them. The secret being this encounter with Jesus that he had had. And he doesn't really explain why. True. That's the interesting thing. 
Like, his mission is to share it with the world, but he can't share it with his family. I think that might be because he doesn't really understand his mission to the point where he can't really share it. There's something to be said for that, because you don't want to tell people about some great idea you have until you've really figured it out. Also, guys, like how many times has someone said, oh, I had a revelation of Jesus and now I'm going to do this? And we're like, all right there, mate. (laughs) Maybe he was just quite, he was quite mature about his revelation. He was like, if I tell people this, then I may come across as a bit of a nutter. One of my favourite Wikipedia articles (laughs) is the list of messianic claimants, (laughs) (laughs) of which, of course, True Father is one. Is Is that guy from How Well Do You Know Your Moon on there? What's his... The dancer. Wasn't it Jesus? Ah, uh, this guy, anyway, he's on How Well Do You Know Your Moon and he does some awesome moon dancing and claims to be Jesus or some some other gravy. I don't think he has a Wikipedia article though, it's does he? It's worth it? watching. Though. It is worth <laughs> watching. If I find the link, I'll share it with yeah, on the Facebook on the page. Facebook page, yeah. But um, to delve more deeply into the heart of True Father, uh, at this early stage, seminal stage of his messianic mission, he wrote down this rather famous poem the crown of glory and uh you know it's written in its entirety in the autobiography and i I feel it's worth repeating here as well it's quite easy to take for granted the actual message of the poem because you know we grew up with this mentality and actually if you read it it's uh, very much the state of the unification mindset but at the time this is some 16 year old kid writing something that he's had very little experience of it's what, actually deeply profound. What I like about it is its humanness. It's very authentic. It means I'm... humanity. <laughs> yes, humanity. I don't know if it's just me, but I'm rather sceptical when it comes to translated pieces of text. For example, The Diary of Anne Frank, like, it was amazing, technically amazing book, but the fact that it was translated into such a high level of English made me struggle to really see the authenticity of the story. Oh, interesting. I've never thought about that. But I mean, of course, if you're translating a text you, and you have a profound message to get across, you're going to use the best language you can. Yeah, but the thing is, like, it just didn't feel so genuine in English because I knew it wasn't in the language she wrote it. And the fact that the English I was reading was as good as mine, if not better. And this was a 12-year-old writing it. So, I mean, curious to know. I mean, obviously, I'll never be able to understand the original Korean, but it'll be interesting to see what happened in the translation. Because just reading it now, it seems pretty epic. Should we share the poem? Let's do it. I think so. When I doubt people, I feel pain. When I judge people, it is unbearable. When I hate people, there is no value to my existence. Yet if I believe, I am deceived. If I love, I am betrayed. Suffering and grieving tonight, my head in my hands, am I wrong? Yes, I am wrong. Even though we are deceived, still believe. Though we are betrayed, still forgive. Love completely, even those who hate you. Wipe your tears away and welcome with a smile those who know nothing but deceit, and those who betray without regret. O master, the pain of loving, look at my hands. Place your hand on my chest. My heart is bursting, such agony. But when I love those who acted against me, I brought victory. If you have done the same things, I will give you the crown of glory. Is that a that's an A plus? If that was a if if that was a high school level poem, 
That's a that's an A plus. You know, I think this poem was actually submitted to some kind of international poetry competition. Oh, really? And apparently, it won some award. Interesting. Yeah. True story. I have no sources to verify. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> See, now the now the problem is everybody's going to use us as verification for that story. <laughs> the, the paper trail that leads to this point. But it is very profound. It kind of one step above and beyond the love your neighbour. Even love your enemy. It goes above and beyond that. That is something we're definitely taught growing up in this community. Love your enemy, even though maybe we don't practice it so much. And, you know, there are plenty of stories about us failing to do so, especially in the militaristic time of our movement. But it's probably one of the core teachings that we've always learnt growing up. So it, it, as the story continues, as True Father continues to narrate his life, something which I find very interesting is how he explains that he was determined to go to Japan to let the world know of the greatness of the Korean people. And so, uh, interestingly, the next step in the story is not going to Japan, it's going to Seoul, which is the capital of Korea. Having been raised as a farm boy on a you know, rural village, uh, moving to the Korean capital would be the next step, perhaps on the way to Japan. So he has this vision, this goal in his life, and he has created a step-by-step -step strategy by which he plans to achieve that goal. Also, one thing to bear in mind, Seoul at that time was also pretty crap. A step up from a rural village to Seoul is not that big of a step up. Seoul back then was not as it is today. This big cosmopolitan, bustling city of industry and finance. And men with a lot of makeup. <laughs> and women with a lot of plastic surgery. <laughs> that having been said, it's a step up. Definitely. During this time in Seoul, he adopted a motto actually for himself, and it goes like this. Before seeking to dominate the universe, first perfect your ability to dominate yourself. It means that to have the strength to save the nation and save the world, I first had to train my own body. Again, very early on, the core teachings of our unificationist thought are coming out. The way that you change the world is you change yourself, and then you change your family, and blah, 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 blah. Do your father never really spoke at length about how to train your mind and body unity, how to discipline? He talked about it, but he didn't give us clear exercises or instruction. I think one thing that he understood was that it's different for every person, depending on circumstance. And I think mm. that's one of the values of the autobiography and why we were all asked to read it. Because if you take everything in the autobiography as truth, then it pretty much comes across as an exercise of mind-body unity. Personally, I think that the variety of religious communities that exist around the world illustrates that variety in, in humanness, in humanity. You know, that, that different people require different exercises or different disciplines to develop their mind-to-body unity. And so we should encourage the inheritance of various religious heritages for the cultivation of our mind and body unity. I think, yeah, mind and body is just a tough area to touch on because you don't really know how everyone else's mind works and yeah. ultimately the whole mind and body thing can be simplified to just don't give in to your body's temptations. Yeah, that is bloody hard. And yeah, at the same time, I do feel there's something to be said for being sensitive to one's needs, physical needs. But that's why it's mind-body unity, not mind-body domination. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the reason he moved to Hooksok Dong was to study uh, commerce and industry at some institute. 
And there's one thing that's super interesting here. He says, I was usually a very quiet student. Although I never engaged in physical violence, my classmates treated me with respect and were careful how they acted in my presence. Well, that's quite a turnaround. Yeah, from... quiet, no physical violence to the loud, angry, to the angry, loud, violent little child brat that he used to be. Mm, I think violent as a young child is somewhat of a necessary learning curve, though, isn't it? <laughs> Take myself, for example. I remember running at you Ollie with the table leg swung at you as hard as I could and next thing I knew I was pinned down to the floor (laughs) Ollie takes pride in that I remember it being like pretty anime also something to bear in mind is that I was five years older than you probably about twice your strength yeah like an 11 to a 16 year old or something I just remember being completely unthreatened by your chair leg swinging at my face (laughs) (laughs) so in the story it sounds like the young true father has taken a step up in terms of maturity or he's taking his mission very seriously and pensively it seems very deliberate Mm. he was also an agony uncle (laughs) as opposed to an agony aunt there are people in our lives that take those positions there are some people that you just feel like you could never go to advice for and there are other people that you feel like oh you know if i share this with some somebody then they might give me something valuable without judgment. Mm. I, I don't think she would mind me saying this, but my wife, when she was growing up in school, she found that a lot of people approached her to get things off their chest. Mm-hmm. And she found herself giving them what she felt was helpful advice and, and th- that advice being appreciated. I think to fill the role of like an agony uncle, it's more of like an intuitive thing. If I want to go and like kind of seek someone's advice is you know it's because you've got that good feeling that this is a this is a good person i can trust isn't it so the people approaching him they get a good feeling he's the right person to talk with yeah at that time he was attending a christian church and often filled the role of the sunday school teacher there yeah i would like to encourage our listeners to become sunday school teachers in your local churches why because educating young people is one of the most important vocations wait there is Matt, are you using our, our podcast to advertise? Yeah, are you positions for hijacking our podcast to, we to didn't force your own agenda? agenda. I, I never said I had hidden agendas. My agendas are plainly on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> but so, so True Father obviously saw the importance of educating the next generation of people. I think it's interesting how in communities, our unificationist communities... Some of them have taken the education of young people very seriously. I think of the the nation of Sweden as as a community that invested a lot into their Sunday school education. And now their curriculum is being adopted by communities around the rest of Europe and possibly around the rest of the world. Whereas some communities that didn't invest into Sunday school education, their communities are now struggling because young people perhaps didn't get the kind of faith education that would have benefited them. So it's, it's, for me, great to see that True Father prioritised it. So graduating from Kyungsung Institute now, he travelled to Japan to continue his studies. Um, this relates back to the comment you made about his strategy, step by step from the little village of Osan to Seoul. the bigger village Slightly of bigger Seoul. <laughs> <laughs> now to Japan. So what was he studying there? He went to Japan, Matt, to study electrical engineering at an institute of Waseda University, I believe. Right. It's also interesting, at this point, he 
wrote that he felt he could not establish a new religious philosophy without knowing modern engineering. I love that. Why do you love it? Because it's awesome and it's true. Elaborate. One of the parts of unification thought which resonates with me deeply is that in order to attain truth, then one has to understand both the physical and the spiritual world, both internal and external. And so much of religion throughout history has been rejection of the external. I don't think that's entirely true. I I think certainly there are religious freaks who do reject science and modernity wholesale, but I feel they tend to be in the minority and scientific people who, who tend to reject religion overplay that tension. There has been a tension, I admit, but I don't think it was the majority. Well, it's not just saying there shouldn't be this tension. It's saying you cannot establish a religious philosophy without knowing both, without fully embracing both. I feel like a lot of people, including ourselves sometimes, we go through this process where we have to reject one part of our understanding of the universe in order to fit in our worldview in moral terms or religious terms and vice versa. It's saying that we can't establish a new religious philosophy without fully embracing and understanding both. Yes. I think there are people who, because of their hesitance or fear of having their faith challenged, they reject or they don't want to think critically. And so when science brings up an issue, especially social science, brings up interesting observations or tries to draw conclusions which challenge our religious thinking, I think some people bury their heads in the sand a little bit. And what True Father here is doing is tackling these questions and trying to harmonize the physical reality with the spiritual reality and making them make sense together. And he talks about here how maths and religious share something in common, something very deep in common. And I think that's completely true. Both are there to understand the universe, and quite honestly, both are very fundamental to leading a fulfilling life. He says in the autobiography I'm quoting here, to do something great, a person needs to excel in powers of reasoning. Now, for me, that's very comforting because I am quite academic. I like thinking. And there have been times in my life where I felt that actually thinking too much was not a good thing. Uh, It could have been seen as as an obstacle or something which which, which got in the way of artistic growth and development. But actually, True Father here is saying to do something great, you need strong reasoning power. And so actually that comforts me to know being academic and, and being intellectually clever is not a bad thing in and of itself as long as it harmonizes with emotion actually my friend once recommended a book for me which is called the great partnership written by jonathan Sachs, and that is going into god's science and the search for meaning which is another quite great read if you want to see the connection between this kind of religious idea and more of a academic approach jonathan Sachs, just stand up bloke really ex-chief rabbi so a pretty big deal of of uh, great britain and the commonwealth yes indeed returning to the story uh, true father talks about not just his studies but also his other activities while while at waseda he was part of the underground korean independence movement 
uh, fighting for social justice. Uh, and that's interesting because I don't see that so much in our own community. Members of, of the unifications community standing up for social justice. For example? Well, I do know somebody who is campaigning uh, for religious freedom in China, going along to the demonstrations that Falun Gong uh, have here in the UK, or more recently uh, campaigning uh, for or campaigning side by side with Mongolians who are uh, trying to address the corruption which they see in, in their politics. That, that's an example of someone doing, doing something, but I, I'd like to see more of that, really. Well... You're the national leader of the UK. Why don't you mobilise something? Call to arms. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not a rhetorical question. Well, I think there are many issues which need to be uh, addressed. And, uh, you know, each person will find something different that they feel passionately about. Uh, but I do hear conversations where people maybe talk about this, talk about that, but then they don't do anything about it. So what's stopping you raising the call to arms and mobilising a campaign? Well, you know what? There are some people who are who are campaigning, but I would hesitate to mobilise our entire community to endorse or work together with those campaigns because sometimes I feel actually quite embarrassed by those campaigns. I feel like actually what they're calling for is not the principled perspective necessarily. I don't agree with them entirely. And while... I salute and, and you know admire the activism of some campaigners, I don't actually fully support their methods or, or their goals. That's the problem, it's very grey. We don't know what we should really be campaigning for. It's interesting, even with an organisation like the Universal Peace Federation, you see them doing activities and you could say that a lot of the groups that they're working with perhaps lean towards the left of the political spectrum, whereas historically our community certainly aimed to support groups on the right of the political spectrum. And so there's an interesting tension there, you know, which wing are we supporting? Of course, then some folks might say, well, we're headwing, so we got both wings. <laughs> which is basically saying, I don't know, and I don't want to answer the question. <laughs> it, is, it is an interesting point, but here, in Japan, where Trufada is passionate about the liberation of his homeland, he is standing up for Korean independence. He's taking a political stance and he's joining political campaigns. So he says, in those days, I was a ball of fire. He got into trouble with the police. He got into fights with them. No, no, no. He was actually fighting with police. He was chased by two police onto a bridge. He grabbed a railing, swung it at them, and then managed to escape. I just want to point out, though, the, the kind of differences in crimes now to back then. Even if you watch Korean dramas, like, the physical contact is not such a big deal in Korea. Like, the slap on the head, which, if you do that in a oh, professional beaten, environment yeah. in England, is totally unacceptable, and you'll get sued for it. Whereas in Korea, like, the elder will just slap the younger person around the head, and it's when I watch that, it's like, dude, don't do that in England, man. You're getting in big trouble. Get arrested. So I can understand why he may be more, why why he can casually do this. I wouldn't want to do this because I don't fancy an English jail. I'd get shot. No, he would in America. No, no, we'd get shot here. For slapping. If I swung a weapon at a policeman? I don't know. I think our policemen are quite good. first. Yeah, I think I think we're not too quick to our guns like the folks over the they don't even over have the waters. Given recent events, I don't know. That's true. 
So he talks about how he suddenly became violent again. Good old true father, back to the violent. <laughs> but this loud is more this is more justified violence, isn't it? He's he's violent against corruption or some form of injustice. Well, yeah. I mean, seriously, if if some police officers were about to beat you up without good cause, you're just peacefully demonstrating, and they're about to beat you up. That's not fair. You defend yourself. That's the thing. This uh, history of Korean independence against Japan is actually not as clear-cut as our Korean leader wants it to sound. I I, uh, accept that. And Uh, especially coming from an imperialistic nation, the most imperialistic nation, that's not even arguable, that's just statistics. The independence and rising up of some nations actually led to their downfall. From the Japanese perspective, some people argue, and... You, you know, they're not just silly opinions and, and biased opinions that actually the Japanese occupation of Korea was a good thing for Korea. They abolished slavery, they abolished the caste system, they started universities, they formalized education, they established the government, they enforced hygiene, they enforced morality laws, etc., etc. I think that's really interesting, Ollie, because, you know, we're British and the British Empire arguably was beneficial in some ways to the areas it colonised. Bear in mind, we're not downplaying any of the atrocities which were definitely committed in order to to achieve those slightly short-sighted goals. Absolutely agree with you on that. Um, there's a collective sin which needs to be paid for in that sense. But people in those uh, areas of the world want to be part of the Commonwealth. They, they feel some benefit was made by being part of this club. Something could also be said for Imperial Rome, that the Roman Empire spreading around uh, the area around the Mediterranean did something beneficial for the, the territories it conquered. Even Palestine at that time, Judea, there were people very much afraid that Jesus was going to be a revolutionary who would inspire another revolution like the Maccabeans and throw the entire Judean population into even worse situation, that they recognised the benefit and security that the Roman authorities delivered. I think the point we're trying to make here is that the story that's being told here is very much one side of the story. Mm -hmm. And it's not so clear-cut exactly what Trufala's motivations against the Japanese were. It talks about how the Koreans were suffering under the Japanese and it's the Japanese fault. But there's definitely more to the story and it's just something that's useful to have in mind here. I don't think this is an historical argument to say whether Japanese imperialism was a good thing or a bad thing. It's more an insight into the heart of True Father as he's responding to that context. Exactly. So the story then continues to talk about True Father's work ethic as he does a variety of jobs He talked about not worrying about earning money. So he gives all of his money away, but perhaps the reason why he does that is because he's fairly confident that he can find a job and earn it back. He's definitely a competent human being who can tailor his abilities, his skill set to any job. I get that. I have that feeling. If I I need to make money, I can make money. Doesn't it annoy you when some people say they can't get a job? That's because they're just not bothered to hand out their CV to restaurants. Oh, I know because I've been through that phase. (laughs) No, 100%. I know that. And then you're like, oh, actually, you know what? Why don't I just make some money? And then you can make money. <laughs> or basically, people are more comfortable exactly where they are in life than going out and getting a job and making money. If you really want to get a job, if you're that desperate, you'll go out and get one. Exactly. True Fathers doesn't feel that any job is beneath him. 
he's prepared to do anything. For example, he worked as a delivery man using a bicycle-drawn cart. And you still see people in Korea doing that. Yeah. Pushing and around a cart with cardboard. Well, this was in Tokyo, it. actually. And he says now he knows Tokyo like the back of his hand. I doubt he does anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's completely it's changed different. a lot since then. But yeah. um, He was a laborer who smelt of sweat. Nice descriptive. Yeah, I like how he added um, that in for no particular reason whatsoever. The dramaticness, the Hollywood visualization of the beads dripping down his skin. He worked <laughs> at the Kawasaki steel mill and shipyard. Um, at this point, it's quite comical. He was I love this very patriotic. He, he he mentions we Koreans could do in one night what it took the Japanese three days to accomplish. It's so interesting because he's saying that in the present tense. He doesn't say <laughs> I thought that. He's saying it now. Like we Koreans could do in one night it's, what it took the Japanese three days to accomplish. If that is exaggeration, which it may, pe- of course, is, <laughs> which it may potentially definitely be. Um, that also affects all his previous comments about this kind of his attitude for social injustice and Super all that. Super patriotic. Definitely. Which is not, I'm not saying that as a negative thing. It's it's just a statement. He is very patriotic. Yeah. I think we've all seen those videos of, you know, Japan after the earthquakes, the highway like completely torn in two. And then like a few days later, it's brand new and particularly Obviously well some Koreans built it. I was at, <laughs> <laughs> I was at my um, granny's birthday i don't know 85th 87th anyway i got stuck on the old people's table which at first i was a bit negative about but it turned out to be really great because i was just chatting with awesome elderly people and one of them has been working for tfl travel for london for over 45 years is it transport transport for london it's not travel for london that makes sense anyway he was saying he went to he was doing the the trains from kind of liverpool street going out into colchester direction and when trains had problems the servicing amount of time took ages one time he went to japan for a trip with his wife train was down service was there finished in 15 minutes a job which in england would take two or more days to fix well according to father the koreans would have done it in five wait if the japs took 15 minutes five minutes for koreans (laughs) for all we know korean transport could be really good it's actually built by the japanese (laughs) 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 it's actually true Oh, brilliant, brilliant. He goes on to be a very stubborn young adult. Labourers were extorted by the managers and Moon fought for them. He once even kicked a manager. More violence. But social... him in the shins. (laughs) Social kind of justice, I guess. Again, we don't know what the rules, the laws are for violence. (laughs) Korea, Japan at that time may be a bit more casual towards violence compared to... But it was violence for the sake of others because he's trying to make sure that his fellow workers weren't being extorted. Yeah. I mean, it is continuous examples of sacrificing for for people, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, More jobs while studying Japan. Worked as a janitor. He also worked as a fortune teller, so a scam artist. Scam artist, (laughs) yeah. Card reader. (laughs) A tradition which was adopted by the Japanese Unification Church many decades later. Yeah, sometimes. That and selling guns. <laughs> by the Japanese church? Yeah. Okay. What is the life lesson we can take from all of this? Well, so before the life lesson, he, there's another point I quite like. He says, I can now take one look at a person and have a good idea of what that person does for a living and whether he is a good person. I don't have to weigh various thoughts in my head because my body will tell me first. I still believe that to develop good character, a person needs to experience many difficulties before turning 30. I agree with that. Mm. Wait, I'm already over 30. Yeah. Sorry, you're done. You're finished. Yeah. 
I feel like I no also have that. No more difficult times for you. Sorry, man. How Matt. many children did I have before I turned 30? Yeah, but you didn't... Eight. You didn't make... <laughs> Twelve. You didn't do the difficult job of having to birth them. No, that's true. Although, I did deliver one of them. Yeah, nice. I believe very firmly that everybody, no matter who you are, especially if you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, should work in customer service or the service industry in some way. I think it's incredibly character building and I can genuinely tell people who have never done that before. And that's why I think our community endorsed and encouraged fundraising. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't just to make money, although that was, of course, Now that you mention it, actually, my retail experience was so critical to how I relate to people. Now I run away from them (laughs) (laughs) with a passion after working in Apple. And that's something that's a very valuable life lesson that you've learned there. Yeah, all people wanted was to complain about why their iPhones weren't working. There's a passage which I really like. It's so poetic and it really resonates with my heart here where, where True Father talks about dealing with difficult things. I'll just quote it here for you. People need to go down into the crucible of despair at the bottom of human existence and experience what that is like. People need to discover new possibilities in the midst of hell. It is only when climbing out of the depths of despair and making a new determination that we can be reborn as people able to pioneer a new future. So what do you take from that? People are too attached to comfort, especially young people who maybe are attached to their suffering. They actually don't want to climb out of their crucible of despair. They like to define themselves by their suffering. And it's not just young people exclusively. I know a lot of people more senior in years who are immature in a very similar way. People like to think, well, you don't know what kind of suffering I've been through. But you know what? Nobody has a monopoly on suffering. Just because you've gone through some difficult experience, I'm not denying the fact that you have. I want to acknowledge and validate that fact. But many different people have gone through different kinds of suffering. And many of them have actually gone through that suffering. They've learned lessons from it. They've, They've built themselves up and come out of it. And they don't define themselves by that suffering. But I think there are far too many people who are actually quite comfortable staying in that crucible of despair. I've gone through a situation of suffering which is exactly the same to someone else and I was trying to talk to this person about it and it was really, I won't go into the details of what it is, but it was really interesting about how this person who is much older than me hasn't seen how that disaster in their life has actually been one of the best blessings they could receive. They were still really depressed and down about about how it affects them whereas I've realized that yes even though it affected me in daily life blah 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 it's actually changed and developed the way I think and how I've really kind of kind of you say graduated from that situation gone to a new level of thinking whereas that person still is kind of sunk into the depths of that exactly I don't deny that you've gone through that bad experience I deny that that bad experience has to negatively affect your future that's what I get out of this passage So the life lesson that we can draw from that is that a person of good character must be accustomed to rising to a higher position and then quickly falling to a low position. And do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of that marvellous poem which kind of distills the British Empire. That poem by Rudyard Kipling, If. If. Voted favourite poem. Do you know what's great? If is on my Spotify playlist. I have all these songs that play and then randomly if plays. Nice. <laughs> and and the, the, the sentence in particular, the, the, stand, the verse 
in in that poem I, I think of is if you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue or walk with kings nor lose the common touch so there's this ability to go up and down high and low it doesn't matter who you're with what stratus of society you find yourself in you're able to adapt mm-hmm. and, and just to give context if you haven't heard the poem uh, first of all do it listen to it uh, read, read it, it. Yeah. Um, second of all it's uh, a father giving advice to his son essentially how to how to be a good upstanding person of virtue that's pretty much exactly on parallel with this point that father wrote here isn't it i think the message he's trying to get across here is that people are attached to position not just high but also low i've heard a lot of people saying oh you know i don't especially in our church you know authority and and verticality is so screwed up the way that we do things even in the traditional systems in which we run ourselves you know the churches the nations the continents the international level it's so screwed up (laughs) wow Uh, could you elaborate on that well for example people are so attached to high positions i see what you mean now but not only that people are so attached to their low positions they think they can't take responsibility for themselves there may be some truth in that but I, i want to defend a lot of the leaders who i know would be prepared to be fired and just go down and do humble things. Just a week ago, I was talking on Facebook with a friend of mine. I won't say which part of the world they are from, but there's there's an interesting situation where they might find themselves being replaced. And of course, they want to hold on to the position, not because of some self-centered reason, but because they care about their country's future and they want to make sure that it's going in the right direction. Is it unfair of me to say at this point that I'm presuming a lot of your friends are more Western and thus think in a more Western way? I think that's a pretty fair honestly that's fair because we've talked about this before the eastern culture of shame and hiding it and okay this person is not korean and not japanese okay the, then, they're then i understand <laughs> but the problem that you're describing i'm assuming is that people are attached to their low position they don't want to raise to that position that's also a problem. it's the same problem right people feel like oh my home is too grubby to invite people to come into it or oh, i i don't have enough social status in order to talk to that vip i don't have the necessary skills involved or i don't understand this enough like for instance how many regions do we have in this country in the uk that are currently looking for a regional pastor many right how many regions are looking for a pastor yeah and yet how many people are willing to step up to that responsibility exactly it's shocking it's interesting true father says in the autobiography once a person has the confidence to say i can go all around the country and i will never come across a person who is capable of defeating me (laughs) then he is ready to take on any task and have the confidence to accomplish it successfully so basically what you're saying ollie is that we don't have enough people who are so confident that we don't have people who have such a clear sense of identity. Well, it's also because our mission is slightly vague still, isn't it? I suppose there's some truth in that, that the task isn't abundantly clear. What is the mm. task at hand? That's a separate conversation, I feel. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's, he's, True Father was happy to even, you know, live with beggars, even to be a beggar. It was while being a beggar in Tokyo that he realised the importance of experience in every single opportunity he talks about devouring everything like an encyclopedia and that's how you form your identity no i I understand that especially me i'm a very academic person um maybe not so touchy-feely but you know i don't have any shame in saying that my identity is formed by what i've learned and what i know i think it's because 
father is talking about a period in his life that's actually very relevant to us a period that we're going through right now and a lot of our listeners are also going through i think this kind of 18 or let's say 16 to 25 year old period of life is such a major period of maturation maturation yeah oh that's actually the word maturation (laughs) as far as like it's (laughs) it's just fascinating like even if i look at how much i've changed over the past three years or something it's incredible and so a lot and a lot of these kind of eye-opening breakthroughs he's having i'm having parallel ones so to all of our listeners out there who are under the age of 30 do hard things honestly reading this section again i am so sure that if people just took this section seriously just this bit just chapter two the first part of chapter two so many problems in our church would be solved just like that if people took it to heart just for reference people we haven't even got to the 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 chapter the calm sea of the heart so all of this is in chapter two until that section so until that recording i think we're going to have to stop story time there so thanks thanks for listening guys yeah thank you so much everyone for listening this has been a very enjoyable and quite deep story time and if you are planning to attend the cranes club conference in london taking place in london between the 31st of march and the 2nd of april then we'll see you there yep we will have a small panel small discussion to i guess go on about what we're trying to achieve what we're doing um so on that note guys thank you so much for listening to the orange songbook story time this week we will be back with this story at some point in the future we're still undecided what our future topics will be and what order we want to do we don't want to just run through this non-stop we like the idea of breaking it up so on that note anyway thank you so much for listening please follow us on facebook we have our forums our facebook page get involved in the discussion our twitter handle is orange songbook our instagram is orange songbook our website is www.orangesongbook.com we've been having some great chats with people but we want more gravy spilling through so come on send us your comments your thoughts your feedbacks your negative feedbacks we may hate you but okay (laughs) anyway thank you so much everyone peace out why did you have to say that you've been listening to the orange songbook podcast with matthew hewish oliver davies and toby suda with support from patrick german and music by jude grooves Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter and on the web at orangesongbook.com where you can find all our previous episodes.